This is for the action takers, creators, status quo challengers, those in love with the process, hungry for knowledge and questioning everything, here to optimise today and fulfil the potential of tomorrow. Why? Because it's in our nature. Welcome to Project Pure Sport with your hosts, Grayson Hart and James Dollar. Welcome back to the Pure Sport Project, and I am absolutely buzzing to have our guest today, Kyle Gray, one of my old mates from my time in Glasgow, uh, best city in the world. Uh, Kyle is an international speaker, best-selling author of eight books, including uh, Raise Your Vibration, which is a book I've absolutely loved and enjoyed, um, and one of the topics that you have an area of absolute expertise is and around talking around angels and and how that relates to you know modern day life and how people can understand that more and utilize that to boost and optimize their lives and happiness and and uh, we're keen as to jump into that. Also a yogi, yes. and we saw that today when we we're out doing a bit of CrossFit. The flexibility shown by you um, during the snatch was pretty bloody good, but. Kyle, thank you so much, man. So good to have you here. So glad to be here. And I'm a big fan of pure sport. Yeah, absolute legend, man. But Kyle, give us, I did my best here. Um, still learn about this podcast game. So, you know, work in progress. Tell us who you are, man. And tell us, because it's an absolutely fascinating um, area of expertise that you've got. And I want to know, I want the people to know how you got to where you're you are today yeah I, I guess just to break it down make it super easy my life's work is to help as many people get spiritually connected as humanly possible and there's a number of different avenues that I have with my work that help people get there but I believe there is something greater out there in the universe and it doesn't really matter what you call it but I believe that by connecting to this energy of oneness it can give you a greater purpose for your life and my goal is to help people live with purpose in every single moment of their day. So you can do things and, and live, but if you live with purpose, it completely changes the game. Yeah, that sounds sick, man. I'm, I mean, getting to know you when we were through in Glasgow and reading your books, Chelsea and I, my wife Chelsea, for those that don't know, um, we absolutely loved it, man, and it helped us understand about more about life and uh we had been exploring before that and set, set us on a really lovely journey. So the work you're doing is unbelievable. And and I know I, I spoke about that in the intro uh, briefly, but you do have a bit of a focus on angels in a lot of your work. Could you explain from your perspective, you know, because uh, angels can have a connotation in different yeah. people's minds from different cartoons or movies and things like that. When you speak about angels, what do you mean? Yeah, because I, I think as soon as you hear the word angel, and if you've had any, you know, experience of like certain religions or whatever, it could might it might turn you off. It might feel a bit weird, but yeah, my my background is um, in helping people connect to angels. For me, an angel doesn't have to be like a winged figure. It's it's just intelligence, and every single person has this voice inside of them that can lead them 
you know, towards something that will make them feel more connected or a voice that can lead them towards a more fearful experience on earth. And I, I believe that the, the positive voice, the loving voice inside of us could be an angel. Uh, so for me, it could be the most uh, divine intelligence that you have within, or it can be some sort of guiding force. Some people like to think of that as, you know, a loved one that's crossed over or passed away, um, or just a being that's existing in the universe. Uh, when I was younger, when I first, you know, started doing this, I've been doing it since I was 15, you know, and that's 20 years doing the same, you know, working on the same topic, speaking about the same stuff. I used to think angels were a really specific thing. And the older I've gotten, um, my, my view has changed on it. But for me, it's like a form of intelligence that guides you towards living in a more loving, more purposeful way. Usually a voice that will lead you towards a more loving experience on earth. You said you started this when you were 15. I did a little bit of digging and I found that you said that your that your grandma visited you when you were four years old. Yeah. So that must, that must have been like a bit of a crazy experience, four years old, not really having an understanding of what this is yeah. at such an early age. Yes, I had this experience when I was younger. So um, I started off, at, you know, in a normal family household when I was three and a half um, I woke up one morning with the flu and it was really bad flu. And then um, about two weeks of having the flu, it didn't subside. I ended up waking up one morning and I couldn't get out of bed. My legs just weren't working. And I ended up having a virus called Guillain-Barre syndrome. I was paralyzed for nearly six months and I was in children's hospital. And it was in that period of my life that I started to develop like this hyper awareness where if my parents were in the other room, I'd be like trying to feel what was going on in the other room or, you know, trying to listen to the conversations. And I think that's what started the kind of more spiritual connection. I was kind of in another world. And then around the same time as being in a wheelchair, you know, my grandmother was also in a wheelchair and we we're both staying at the same house at the same time. And one night she was moved from home to the hospital and I had started to learn to walk again and um and my body naturally improved you know after lumbar punctures and all this neurological stuff my body just went back to normal and um, I remember waking up through the night and my grandmother was sitting at the bottom of my bed and she flipped me on my belly and she tickled my back and I remember just feeling so loved and I got up the next morning and I was like looking for my grandmother and she wasn't in her bedroom. My mom was like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm looking for Nana. Where is she? She came home last night. She came into my room and she tickled my back. And my mom was, my mom was like, you know, surprised by this information. She went, no, 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 your Nana went to heaven last night. So there was like this, you know, big question. Sometimes it makes me emotional to think about it. Ever since I was that old, you know, what happens to us when the physical body, you know, leaves, you know, because I had been going to Sunday school and the boys brigade and loads of people said, you know, when someone dies, you never see them again. And or if you believe in heaven, you'll see them when you get there. So that question has been in my mind since then, like, if she died, why did I see her? And so it just sent me on this quest, you know, that came with me right into my teenage years. What was your parents' reaction to that? Were you open with them and said, oh, this is what's happened, this is how yeah, I was, feel? So what had happened, I had told my mum about the experience. She just thought I was dreaming. And then my mum's next door neighbour um, was having a, a psychic party a number of months later. And um, the psychic arrived at the house and, and my mum wasn't supposed to be there. 
And she said, I'm looking for someone called Diane. And my, they're like, oh, Diane's the next door neighbor. She's a hairdresser. And she's like, I can't do any readings until I speak to Diane. And um, so they called my mom and my mom's like, I'm doing someone's perm. They're like, you need to get here as soon as possible. And um, so my mom comes in to this house. She wasn't going for the psychic reading. And she says, are you Diane? And she said, yes. And the first thing the psychic said to her, there's a man here called Huey Woods. Uh, and he wants to thank you for saving his life. And years before that, my mom actually found a man in the middle of the street uh, having a heart attack and she resuscitated him. And his name was Huey Woods. So the psychic like brought him up. And then she said, do you have the blue eyed boy? And she said, yes. She said, I've, I've got a lady called Agnes. That was my grandmother's name. She said, um, yeah, she's looking after your son and she wants you to know that he saw her. And my mom was like, you know, I always get emotional about it. Yeah, yeah, I can understand why. That's intense. So she said, she made this weird prediction that was on tape. She said, we don't even have tape players anymore. She said, um, by the time your son's 17, he's going to be known in the world for what, for what I do. She said, you'll come off of a cruise and his name will be in writing. And it was so weird. When I was 17, my mom took me on a cruise. And we came back from the cruise and the Daily Mail named me the youngest psychic in the UK. It was like dead on, you know. What was it like for you, like having that out in the public, like the friends at school and yeah, was, people around you and being 17? Yeah. What was that like? <laughs> you know, earlier on, we were asking me, what sacrifices have you made in your life? And I was like, I can't really think of a sacrifice. But now I think about it, I think I probably had to sacrifice a lot of privacy, you know, in order to, to do what I do. Because I, you know, was just this normal kid at school. And the next minute, you know, you're this this boy that can see angels and everybody's talking about it. And I got, I got a hard time for it as well, you know. That, what you described that, like, hyper-awareness and that, that feeling, that knowing of a connection to a higher power and a oneness and an energy... That, that sounds, you know, like I, I feel a lot of humans can relate to certain moments in life where they've felt that connection. Yeah. Um, I, I can certainly say that there's been times in my life where it could be like out on a sporting field, it could be uh, the embrace of a loved one, uh, listening to music, or um, where you just feel complete presence and connection to all, all that there is around you. Um, so, so with that description, what are some of the misconceptions about you know having psychic abilities because because you're obviously like really deeply in touch with that yeah, connection yeah. and that oneness and that energy what are some of the biggest misconceptions that people have around like, what you do yeah yeah so because when i was younger i guess i was known as like a psychic or a medium or whatever but as i've grown older i don't use those kind of terminologies because it's not about like you know, telling someone they're going to get married and have a, three children and live in a nice house. It's, it's not about that. For me, it's more about um, living with a greater purpose and realizing why you're here. Like that's, that's what's important for me. I think one thing that helps us understand a lot of the misconceptions is starting with some of the stats. In the UK, for example, one in every third person believes in angels. So that's one in every thir third person believes in angels. And then out of that number, one in every 10th person believes they've had a direct experience or an encounter with something unseen. So there's a lot of people, you know, in the UK and, and America, the numbers are much higher that believe they're in touch with something. And usually 
people have these experiences either when they're in the highest of highs or the lowest of lows. Um, so, you know, when you're like runner's high, for example, when you're like optimized and connected and you feel really good, that's sometimes when you get present or when you're a really low emotional state, that's when you can have these things. And I think both those ends of the spectrum can kind of tap you into oneness or what, what possibility could be out there. Anyway, with misconceptions, I think when you hear the word psychic, you just instantly think, you know, someone with a crystal ball with a scarf on their head. For me, it's it's more just intuition. It's like having a feeling um, that something's going to be good for you or not, or a certain person in your life is going to be good or not. And it's just kind of going with that. Um, so that's, I would say the misconception is you're going to have the lottery numbers and you know someone's future. But I, I believe some of that stuff could be possible for some people. But for me, it's not what lights me up. Yeah, yeah. for me, it's just about um, helping people realize they're part of something mm. greater. Did you, do you believe in angels? Not until now. Yeah. I know, I never really considered that's it. Yeah. But that's thing I feel like what you, how you described that the, what people to me people's idea is like the set idea of like some big figure coming in and, and right and don't you know like maybe some people do have visualizations of, yeah, of yeah. this energy A um but i feel the way you describe it actually that makes it so much more you know like i i know that for me is absolutely like no doubt that there's like a connection to something greater than just my physical right. body right Mm -hmm. you know, um, yeah for me so like i believe in the universe like that feels you know achievable and it's within grasp and for me an angel is just basically the universe creating a personification of itself so that we can have a direct experience of it so it's not separate from the one it's directly connected to it always um and a lot of like um i get a lot of I used to get a lot of stick from like religious backgrounds. Like, why do you speak to angels and not God directly? And for me, it's kind of like, I'm, they're not separate. It's all the same thing. I call it the universe. You can call it God, you know. But for me, it's just intelligence that we're in touch with. And what I've also found is, because I used to write this column for an American magazine called Women's World. And it was like people writing in these angel stories and, and all these different encounters that they'd had. And even in like life or death situations, th this voice has come up from the inside, like move out of this lane, move into the next lane. And the one thing you know um, to notice if this voice is speaking to you is even if you're in like the most stressful situation and, you know, like maybe someone's, uh, you know, trying to break into your house, you know, or uh, someone's trying to jack your car or you're in the middle of a fight. When the voice arrives, you feel calm. And if you feel calm, cool, and collected, so if someone's written into me, they're about to get carjacked, and this voice said, "Do this, do this, do that," and the person just remained calm and cool, and the voice led them to safety. Or the same, driving their car, someone pulls in front of them that says, "Move to the next lane," and it was a choice. Always have a choice. Move to the next lane, and the truck in front of them, like the trailer comes off the back. So I think we've all got the capability of hearing this, and this isn't about. Some people have got it and some people have not. It's available to everyone. Yeah. You just have to be open to it. When I was 21 years old, I had the most clear-cut, obvious experience of being guided by something that wasn't me. Yeah. And it was in like, yeah. I don't know. I can tell you guys about it if you want. Yeah, I want to hear it. And then from then on, like, I, I never, ever 
believed in like ghosts or angels or I didn't even, I grew up in a way that like I used to pray before I went to bed for my family. I used to be like, please God, you know, make sure my dad, my brother, my mom, like that's what I do. But I didn't know I wasn't religious. I just like had the concept of praying and that was it. Um, and yeah, yeah, me too. But um, other than that, like I, I didn't really even know why I was praying. I was just doing it to like, you know, wanted the best for my family and my loved ones. Uh, so when this experience happened to me, I was just like, but it was something that for quite a long time after I felt I couldn't really talk to people about because I felt they thought that it wouldn't be There's real. A around yeah. There. Um, but pretty much what I, it's a bit of a dark one because it was like you said, it can be at the highest of highs or lowest of lows. Um, my cousin who he had struggled for a long time with like drug addiction, uh, he was staying with me and I was looking after him and um, he was sober and we were going to the gym and looking, I was trying to look out for him. And one day, it was like a Sunday afternoon and I was like playing PlayStation or something. And I just had this feeling like something wasn't right. And and my brother was at home with me and my brother and we had a few friends and we were all playing PlayStation. And I go to my brother, I go, bro, we need to go to the park. And my brother's like, oh, I was like, there's something wrong with Tomo. That's what I kind of like. My brother's like, okay. So we walked outside. And what's weird is I was just being guided. I, my, my own brain wasn't, it wasn't me. Like, like it wasn't my mind telling me. That everything was just so clear of what to do. It wasn't like question marks. I wasn't like nervous or stressed. I was just like clarity. Yeah. And then there was a driveway and my car was at the back of the driveway and my brother's car was at, in between my car. So my car was the last one and his was before. My dad had died like six months before and my brother had taken my dad's car. And for some reason I go, let's take your car. It didn't make sense because my brother had to like back out of through beyond my car. And I was like, he's like, where are we going? I said, go up the park. And we drove and we got there and I go, stop here. And my brother's like, fuck. So get, and I'm like, and I just don't, and I'm not even looking, bro. I'm just walking to the spot and I don't even know why. And I'm like power walking, not running, power walk, get to the spot, turn, look down this path. And there's these trees from like, it's like up and then goes down and there's these trees and about 60 meters away, I was pretty sorry for anyone that this is a bit graphic, but I could see my cousin's legs hanging from a tree and I was like, fuck, and I just ran and I called my brother, ran down and it looked like he was dead. But anyhow, I'm trying to hold him up yeah, yeah. and uh, his weight's yeah. falling. Yeah, because I, I tried to undo it and I couldn't undo it because it was like so tight. So I call and I go to my brother. I go, go get dad's knife. Cause dad always kept the knife in the car. So my brother runs back and he runs, but he fucking had lost the key. He dropped the keys when he first all the commotion. So he gets to the car. He's like, fuck, I can't, there's no time. Like there's no time to go back and find a key. So he's smashing. He, could, he couldn't smash the window. It wouldn't break. And he reckons he bashed it like the fifth time out and just like whacked it like that out of frustration because it wouldn't smash. And the window just dropped like that. The electric window. He just dropped. Gets the keys. Uh, gets the knife out. Runs. Cuts him down. And then what's so random. Some random dude in the park. Who ended up being one of the leading like gang members in New Zealand. Had just for some random reason. Gone on a, a third. Um, what do they call it? First aid course. And did CPR on my cousin. By this point, that he's like not coming back. Then the ambulance comes. They do all the defibrillator, 
defibrillators and stuff, take them away. And then by this, it was like the whole park's full. It's like this commotion. We're like, and I was like, bro, like, he he looked dead, man. Like, he didn't come back from the things. They put him in. They took him to the hospital. We're like, waiting to hear when we can go there. Anyway, go to bed because I hadn't heard anything. We're like, all oh, like, he's dead. Like, he was gone. Next day, he's 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 alive. And honest, I'm telling you, I've never, ever felt anything as... And and do you know the weirdest thing throughout that whole situation? I felt completely calm. That's the thing. And it was like that from that point onwards, I was like and and I know it sound maybe sound weird to people, but I was like, that was my dad guiding me there. And cause it was like his car and he was very close to my cousin. And 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 they had like this bond and connection because my dad had struggled with addiction as well. So he always had this soft spot to look out for my cousin. And then ever since after that, bro, I was like, fuck. And it also fulfilled, although it was such a, it was afterwards quite traumatic seeing that and seeing my cousin like that. I, I also looked at it as like a blessing because I was really sad losing my dad. And then I knew that my dad was with me after that. So for the for the people out there, I was someone that never ever had any concept of, anything like this and even that happened i was like man i'm trying not to cry yeah. <laughs> for me it was like something so <laughs> traumatic was also like it was such a blessing in my life because i actually believe after that I, I had so much sadness and heartache losing my dad but then my of course i was still sad but i was like Fuck, I, 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 and then i could like almost go back to the sense of knowing that he was there mm. after forever after that that's amazing I've also heard, interestingly enough, because your experience is around the time when you were trying to help your cousin as well. I've also I've always found that people who are in service, like selfless service, tend to have more connection to the voice than the average person because for some reason it kind of magnetizes that energy towards you. So the fact that it was like in the service, you know, wanting to help them, and then you got that download. Yeah, I still to this day, like my brother and stuff and like family, they're like, how did you know where to go? I was like, I, I, I cannot tell you. Being I just felt went, calm. I had no question. You just like, sh- I literally was just like that to my brother. I was like, we need to go to the park. <laughs> it was crazy. such a specific point as well. Yeah. It could have been anywhere. Yeah. And my brother's like, what's why? And I was like, there's something wrong with, there's something wrong with Tom, Tomo and we need to go. And he was like, okay. Wow. Yeah. It was That's crazy. Incredible. Bro. Yeah, it was it was something else. So sorry if that was a bit intense. Oh, no, that was incredible. Um, I never knew that. Yeah. I never knew that. But it's intense. Is it a, a two way thing? So from like both of these experiences, I've heard that it's like there's a voice telling you what to do. But one thing that I read about yourself and about the sickness that you had as a kid was you had these headaches, and it was something that you said you were like, "If angels are real, heal my headaches." And also, is it something because it was something that you said there when you said about you were praying? You said please oh, xyz and you said don't say please say thank you yeah yeah, yeah. so is, is it a two-way thing it's like well you can ask for things but without saying please yeah yeah because i believe like the universe is abundant in nature and i think a lot of people um so let's talk about prayer for a second because i think when you hear prayer it might feel a bit religious again so for me it's like a non-religious experience it's just putting your yourself in the hands of something greater and i think a lot of people think of prayer as the thing you go to when 
the worst possible outcome has happened. And for me, I also use it as a, a gratitude method. So every single day I'm always like, you know, I have a gratitude journal of writing for years, you know, everything that I'm grateful for. And I've always found that if you speak as if something has already happened, it helps it come into reality. Uh, and for me, that was my initial demonstration that there was something else happening. Uh, after my Guillain-Barre syndrome, I had like neurological issues and, and migraine headaches was one of the main issues that I had and I was reading this book about angels at the time after having a number of experiences and it said you know angels can't help you unless you ask them to support you and and I knew about positive affirmations so I, I did it in a way where I was like thank you angels for the healing that has already been given to me it feels so good um to to be you know of optimum health something along those lines and the next day I woke up and my migraine had kind of like went down and then over the, the course of the next week, it went away and I've never had them again, you know, but I'd, I'd been plagued with, I was on like medication that made me sleep at night and, you know, all these different things. And that was, I was like, okay, something's happening here. I really want to dedicate my life to this. I want to, I want to learn more. You know? what, what's your, so I, manifestation is a word that like i feel like like lots of like influencers and like people have thrown around right it's been watered down a little yeah, bit it's been watered down yeah but actually i feel that that is a real disservice to what it actually is all about because from my very you know limited perspective i'm absolutely hand it over to you but i feel like manifestation really is is living out you know, in your energy and your perspective in a way of what it is that you want to achieve. So if it is good health, like even if your health may not be that great, like living out from the view of someone that has amazing health or I used to, you know, look at, uh, you know, young rugby players that would come in who were like, you know, really ambitious and they would carry themselves in a way of someone that has played a hundred tests for their country like the way in which they function and operate, even though they were a rookie who had never even played a pro game yet. Yeah, and then they would create that level of performance because then they were like living in a way that they were already that yeah. in terms of like their standards and their energy and their confidence. So yeah, what what is your, do? how do you feel it has been watered down by kind of people that have, thrown it about in a way that's maybe it's yeah, about it's just material work. gain rather than actually like you know living it i think so i think manifestation is a buzzword mm. and and that for me like if something from the spiritual realm ends up in the mainstream like it's, it is a good thing um but i do think eventually um there needs to be a next step so i think a lot of people initially go into manifestation because they want like a really cool car mm. or like the secrets almost painted it too much towards like, like physical things, things. Yeah. but there's there's a there's a magic behind all of that and it's not actually the thing you're looking for it's the feeling behind it and so for me i always ask for feelings rather than things so you know like like say you want a really nice car you don't really want the car you want the endorphin release you want to feel happy you want to feel free so i, I always say to people don't ask for that ask for the freedom because I've always think, found that if you if you ask for the feeling, the feelings bring the things and more anyway. But it can't be based on that. So I think what happens is a lot of people get interested in, in manifestation and then they ask for a thing 
right? And the thing is like their demonstration that the universe is definitely doing something. But if they just leave it on things, they'll get stuck there and the things will stop coming because it's just an initial demonstration, but it's actually something bigger that's happening here. And so that's why I wrote my book, Raise Your Vibration, because my publisher had wanted me to write a kind of cool person, you know, cool angle about living with more purpose and making a difference in the world, but kind of bringing the manifestation topic. And I, I just was like, I don't want to write about manifestation. There's enough people out there telling people how to have shiny things. I want to show people how to live with, with more meaning. Um, and that was like in response to like the secret and all these things, because I think that if we don't make it about, because it's, it's very about yourself and how you're going to gain. But if you can make your, your, your intentions about leaving a legacy and enriching the lives of those around you, then yeah. you're raising your vibration. Because a, a lot of people, we're looking for fulfillment and happiness and contentment. But the culture that we live in almost pretty much paints a picture to us that you're going to get that in things and outcomes and, yeah. you know, like material, like houses, relationships, jobs, like money, whatever. Whereas actually there's so many examples of people out there in life who have so much that are just not happy. And then, and then what, you know, but yeah. I guess what I'm hearing from you is you're more interested in pointing people to the fact that it's actually about finding like the joy and the energy and the love and the gratitude that's already there within you. And then letting that manifest out into whatever like cool things might arise yeah. and capabilities that you might have that are being limited. You know, I think like, if you, let's look at pure sport because, you know, you might have been interested in creating this as a business, but really there was a bigger meaning in it and you didn't want people to be, you know, on painkillers and doing all these things and, you know, like limiting them. You wanted them to have a sense of freedom with it. And I think that's a key to the success. If you can um, align what you want to do with a sense of service um, and support and, and making an impact, then I think it has the opportunity to, to, to do well, but also make you feel like you're living with more meaning. That's what I always say to people, like business, like people have a perspective of business from the outside and, you know, they see like, you know, the brand building and the product selling and yeah. they're like, man. Like, but there's more to it. Yeah. It's got a soul. Yeah, exactly. And to be honest with you, for me, what I've learned about how challenging business is and how many like unknowns there are and how many obstacles to overcome and, if it was just about like the money bit of growing business, I, I honestly wouldn't do it, man. I'll do something that had less burden and responsibility on my own shoulders. But what makes me love it is, and what keeps me going, is I truly see like this brand and these products as a as as our way to point people to what you're pointing to, and and actually different people are drawn, you know, some crowds and and people might not be ready to read a book, you know, from you. And then it's they, they need something to lead them towards that or they need something more tangible to open their mind up to how am I living my life? You know, what are my priorities? And for us, providing products that optimize people's mind and body and challenge the status quo of what they have been doing, actually, there's a way bigger purpose in that than just the product. It's about that's one of the first steps opening up to living a better life. And then through that, they might be ready to read a book of yours that can then change 
even on another scale, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. Most people start with the body, then they start dabbling in the mind and eventually they'll get to the soul. I was the other way about. I started yeah. with a soul. <laughs> now you're all about the body, bro. You crossfit athlete now. You know, so yeah, I, th- I found that, you know, like people, I even watch that in like big podcasters that I'm interested in that have, I've noticed like bit by bit, there's more and more like soul mm-hmm. coming in and, you know, because I think eventually you get there, you know, because the truth of the matter is if your body's optimized, uh, your mind feels clear, now you want to live in more meaning mm-hmm. you know and that's where the soul comes into it mm-hmm. i think a lot of the things we do is honestly doubly rewarding because you see that the bigger and the more people know about these products the more people have like life-changing experience and you see it through the trust pilot and you see it when people come along to run clubs and they have these like friendships or relationships that come off the back of it that never would have happened yeah. if they didn't come along to this run club and it's just people taking the steps towards being you know, a better person in terms of whatever that could be, whether that's been looking at their diet, looking at nutrition, looking at their lifestyle and all these other things just kind of happen along the way from pursuing, just maybe trying to be a better person. It's true. And I also found that, you know, like community and connection is a big part of spiritual growth because I think there's only so much you can do on your own, but when you're around other people who are, you know, leveling up and it might just start like going to a CrossFit class because that's really community-based and, and everyone's feeling really good. And then that ends up, do you want to go hiking on Sunday? And then, yeah. you know what I mean? It yeah. can lead to all these different things. Like I never would have thought 10 years ago when I started, you know, like start to really become an author and be out there that, you know, 10 years down the road, I'd, you know, have all the lads over at my house and they're all sitting with their arms up, chanting, wahi guru, yeah. wahi guru, you know, like doing all these meditations together. You know, I would never have believed that. And, and now that happens. Do you think, I mean, for me, I feel spirituality is something that, like angels, you know, obviously, like, there's so much more openness and awareness around, like, a deeper understanding in life. And I, and I feel the times are in now. People are more open to it, hopefully, than, than before. Yeah. Um, but what... What do you think are some of the limitations that, that get in the way of people, you know, exploring that more? Like, what are the, what, what do you feel? I think the limitations is one, it could be that can't be real. Like that's one limitation. But the biggest one that I've tackled in my career is I'm not worthy of that. So it's, it's not about... Is that a conscious or a subconscious? It's belief? probably, it's unconscious happening in their mind. Because I was in um, Toronto doing a... a a talk one day and this woman who had been interested in spirituality for a very long time came up to me she said i had never considered angels once until i heard you speak and i was like job done but also she's like but why and i was like it's because there's a part of you that just isn't ready to feel that loved and like that's the one thing that i'm really interested in with angels is it's a feeling of being loved like my idea of an angel is it's an intelligence that's dedicated to you you know, and it's looking after you and it's holding you. And a lot of people don't feel worthy enough of being that loved. Uh, so I think that's a big block for many people, you know, that there's something out there that's dedicated to solely you. And and, and the thing, I feel like there's a, a, a too much of a concept of spirituality is like woo-woo, you know, but actually... You know, I mean, I definitely am a little bit of that. Yeah, but that, bro, that's cool, man. You, but, the, but the thing... Most black I've worn in a long time. Always in white. You make it look good. But but I think the thing is, right, I 
I grew up in a world that rugby was everything and it was a tough, it was like hard game and you bloody get battered and you try to batter other people and it's yeah. all macho and do, drink, drinking beers after and mm-hmm. all of this. But actually, if you think about it, there is a spiritual connection out on the field between you, your teammates, even the opposition that you're trying to batter mm-hmm. and the crowd around you. And actually the times where you're most immersed in the game, even if you're absolutely like smashing into an opposition player, you're, you're actually playing from a place of love and connection, mm-hmm. you know? And, and that's an example that I want to use as to challenge some people's views on like, oh, like my spirituality or a spiritual exploration or mm-hmm. trying to understand something deeper about myself. It's not for me. That's, you know, for, you know, the hippies or whatever. Yeah. But actually that feeling of like, presence or love or connection that all of us know about even if it's with your bloody macho man rugby teammates mm-hmm. or the opposition like that spirituality you know and we all we all can relate to that james at crossfit tops off sweaty ass with his bloody you know <laughs> meatball mates throwing around Godzilla. yeah like like that <laughs> you know that moment of an absolute presence um that feeling of camaraderie that connection like that is spirituality, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that there's almost, I'm hoping there's a movement towards it. Like and also like when, when you're challenged by an opposition, it's also an opportunity for you to, to face your own ego and your own limitations, you know? Because I think like when someone's pushing against you, a lot of fights happen in kind of contact sports like that, you know? But if you can resist it, then you're overcoming your ego as well. Like that's a big part of it. Yeah. The best players, man, they're the ones that could absolutely smash people. And then if dudes would come at them and get angry, they're like, no, it's all good. And they're like, fuck it. (laughs) I'd really like to know about how this was, because you're a similar age to myself and Grayson. And when I was growing up, there wasn't like huge access to the internet. There wasn't social media. And I think these kind of things are much more widely accepted now. But through social media, you can find yourself other people that have similar interests. But when you were you know, in your teens and stuff like that, you said that that was like when it really started to kind of come into the mainstream media about yourself and the things that you, you can you can see and, and you can feel. How did you find that? Because there wasn't social media where you could just post about it and then find other people that are similar. Yeah, I didn't have that. Things. I didn't have like community. Um, most of the people I knew that were, were all like women over 60, you know, like veteran kind of spiritual people. Um, they so must have been loving having this young bike yeah. on the scene. Most of them, <laughs> most of them are boy. in heaven now, yeah, so I've got a, them, people actually watching over me. But yeah, there was all, it was all kind of older women, but now, you know, um, it's a lot of different things have changed. The territory's changed hugely. Because I was like pre-Instagram, you know, and like I was already doing this for work before Facebook had even came along. Um, so it's changed a lot. Yeah. How did you get an understanding of what like what it was all about? Because obviously it was something that you just had naturally. It was just a gift that you had or a yeah. skill that you had naturally. But then how did you understand? Yeah. Was it books? Was yeah, it... books. There was all these books. There was actually this one publisher that I'd followed mega. They're called Hay House and they ended up becoming my publisher. And I was obsessed with them. Um, the woman that created it, Louise Hay, her book sold over 50 million copies and it's You Can Heal Your Life. And she basically had, had cancer and took a, a holistic approach to healing her body and then um, created a publisher for people to write about, you know, everything from like past lives to feng shui to angels 
Uh, so she started that when she was 60. And, uh, you know, and, you know, it's a huge publisher now, you know, billion dollar business. I've had the chance to meet your lovely mum. She is an absolute legend. You, I, I heard you mention there, uh, is it, was it Catherine Hay? Did you say her name? Oh, Louise Hay. Oh, Louise Hay. Um, went through illness and healed herself holistically. I know your mum went through a, a challenge herself yeah. and went down a natural path to heal. Yeah. What was what what was that like for her and what was that like for you guys? It was really it was it shook me up mega because you know you hear people getting sick, but then when it comes to your own home and your own family, it's, it's really challenging. But yeah, basically my mum had just went for like a random breast screening one day, and then she was called within a week to go up to the clinic, and then they say they found a cancerous tumor in your body and um and i was you know resistant from the word go because i've heard this story a million times and i've seen it happen a million times and but i had to let my mom make her own decision and i said mom do your research and i don't want to like say what i said because it might throw opinion around there but i basically said if you follow this road it could look like this but there is other options mum did her own research and she decided she was going to go cannabis was going to be her her route and so um obviously it's not legal in the uk but we had to like learn about that and my mum used full extract cannabis oil as a an anti-cancer but the big challenge with with that is in the uk if you don't follow protocol um for cancer treatment you'll never get an all clear so my mum's actually does as actively not, System, go, eh? <laughs> not going for scans or anything so she does not know you know the action she'll never get an all clear but she has to go with what she feels um so yeah and she's doing good and she's healthy. she's doing good she had a, a challenge uh last year uh health a completely different thing and she's starting to like build her body back again but you know it's just part of life isn't it we all have these moments but yeah so she went that that road and it was her that actually then pointed out pure sport to me you know Re my mom's like a cbd yeah. queen yeah and man. like she knows everything about like the indica and the sativa and all these different she did things. her like, research really bro, she it. knows man yes yeah, really no that's it's amazing I, I always find it so inspiring that people do the research and they equip themselves the knowledge and they go with what feels right to them. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that's not to disrespect other roads, but you know, one of the things we've noted is, you know, a lot of the people that were diagnosed at the same time as my mom, they're not here anymore. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Sad. So, there's something to say about trusting your intuition as well. And again, this is not giving advice to anyone because your intuition may say that the route there is right for you, but it's good. Yeah. I think what we're trying to promote here is like other take options. the time to consider and reflect and feel what's right and you know use that research and the knowledge out there to inform yourself. The big challenge that I noticed was most um research is funded by pharmaceutical yeah. companies and yeah. so there's like a there's a yeah. loop that's closed there. Yeah, I know we not we, we know that yeah. very well in this uh, world of pure sport. <laughs> but the amazing thing about the internet and technology these days is if you're willing to look, there are some unbelievable experts out there who are amazing. highly qualified, who have done, you know, a lot of studies and a lot of research on the power of a lot of these natural 
um, they shouldn't even be called alternatives because actually there was a point in time where they choice. weren't alternatives. Yeah, alternatives. They, were, they were just na natural choices. Yeah. Um, even the phrase alternative was created by a system that wanted to say that there's only one way. And we're not here, we don't say saying that that one way is bad. You know, we're saying there's, there's more than one way and that yeah. we can equip ourselves with that knowledge. But one, one thing um, that I, I know you speak about so well is surrender. And, yeah. and there must have been a, a element of yourself that, you know, you really had to practice that surrender. And, and, and I'm sure your mum did as well yeah. during such a tough time and a scary time. I think it's still the hardest thing to do is like kind of let it in, you know. Let, but I've I've I noticed in my own life that for for a long time I was kind of fighting against the way it was actually going. So even though on paper there was like a lot of success and you know you're putting yourself out, there was still a part of me that was resistant to like really letting my work go out because then there would be no going back. You know, it's like a big commitment. So that for for my work, I've had to practice surrender. And and also, I think surrender comes into the whole manifestation topic where you, you can set an intention, you can, um, you know, imagine the po best possible outcome. But sometimes what you could imagine is the best possible outcome, there could be an even better option. And, you know, you have to let things unfold the way they need to unfold. And that's what surrender is for me. It's about realizing that what you think you want and what's right for you could be two completely different things, you know. So for, for anyone out there that's listening that's maybe feeling bound up and restricted or stressed about an outcome or something they want to get to or mm -hmm. and that, that's giving them that bound up feeling or maybe they're living in fear about something that they don't want to happen, yeah. how, how would you describe the practice of surrender? Okay, so the first thing I'll say before we get to that is if you're listening to this right now, is that a train? Yeah, there's a train coming over. That's a sign. It's a sign. <laughs> It's a sigh. <laughs> yeah, if, if you're listening to this right now and you are struggling with something, consider that there's an unseen help available to you. That's that's the first thing I'll say. Consider it. Like you've got nothing to lose. And then the next thing I'll say is if there was an intelligence out there and it wanted you to know one thing, what do you feel it would be? And then once you've got that, just note what it says. Because usually the thing we need to know most is the thing we've been telling ourselves for a long time. You know, so if there was an intelligence looking out for you right now, what do you feel it would want you to know? So that's that. And then considering that there might be something out there looking after you and there's an intelligence that's guiding you from the inside, um, how would it feel to let that lead the way? You know? Well, I'm gonna get off this podcast. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask myself. There, there is an intelligence mm -hmm. that was able to tell you something that you most needed to know. Yeah. Would that be? And what do you, you feel that would be? And just feel listen and to see that. what comes. Yeah, and, and then and are you saying that it's it's often something that you already know? Already know. But like, it's like you've not been paying attention. People to it. say to me, Kyle, how can you hear angels and I can't? And I, I always say, well, can you? When was the last time you listened to yourself? And the truth is, most of the time we can't actually hear anything outside ourselves because we're never ever listening to ourselves. So if you can just take an action step on the one thing you've been telling yourself you need to do for a long time. Yeah, it's like a much nicer way of explaining 
like gut feeling, I yeah, guess. Yeah. Trust your gut, right? It's just intelligence. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan of um I might butcher this, but it's uh from Taoism and I think it's called like Wu Wei. And it basically means like you don't force it. Yeah, yeah. Like you just let it take its course. And I feel like it's it, like a lot of things in life, if you try and force something, mm-hmm. you know, and like you said earlier, you may try and force what you think is the best outcome for you, but actually if you just let it take its course and like let it guide its way or guide you, mm-hmm. there may be a better outcome. So if you don't force things then eventually you'll probably get to the place that you need to be as opposed to where you want to be. It's like the 12-step program as well. They have this aspect of surrender and they say handing it over, handing it over. So I do a similar thing. I'll be like, angels, thank you for laying your hands upon this situation and everyone involved and for leading it to the most harmonious outcome. And that's how I surrender. You know, just like leave your hands on it for me. That's cool, man. You're a wu-wei kind of guy, man. I love Taoism, man. he like does these workouts where he's like absolutely tearing in and crossfit and you look at him and he's his face is like wu wei he's just like his, his expression doesn't even change but, but, but no, it, he's it, in the depth yeah. and the sometimes wild. we're all like stressed and we got like some campaign and there's a deadline and jd's just like what you saying <laughs> but um, is a good thing. Yeah, yeah. It's the cordyceps. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't get rational, um, but actually, man, like I, I, the times in my life where I feel most weighed down is where I'm like really caught up worrying about an outcome and attached to an outcome. But when I surrender to the fact that what will be will be. I'm so much more free and actually I see things differently, you know, like I see opportunities rather than problems mm-hmm. or say if there's a challenge in the business, I see that as an opportunity to take that challenge on and like grow through that challenge and, and as a person and professionally learn something and for the business. But when I'm seeing it from a place of like restriction and fear and like, oh, if this doesn't work out this way, then like this might happen and that bad and da da. And often, you know, we we fear things like outcomes that one, we don't even know what the actual outcome is going to be. And two, sometimes or often in my experience anyway, the fear and the like uh, resistance in that moment of worrying about the outcome is worse than like, the outcome anyway yeah 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 there's there's a there's a story about the buddha i don't know if you've heard it but it's it's an amazing story because uh, i'll tell you the story it's quite cool so buddha's in a cave one day and as he does and he's he's you know getting his meditation on and um he has a guard up front in the cave who is um watching as the buddha's meditating and the guard up front sees in the distance this demon called mara coming up the road and Mara's, you know, had way too much garlic bread last night. And, you know, he's got all these hands and eyes and he's a big scary thing. And they, it gets to the mouth of the cave and the guard's like trembling. And Mara says to the guard, I want to see the Buddha. And um, the guard starts to make an excuse up, you know, because he doesn't want the Buddha to meet Mara. And from inside the cave, Buddha says, let Mara in. And Mara comes into the cave and the Buddha looks at him straight in the eyes and he says, Mara, I see you. And he disappears. And the the story is kind of like this metaphor. The cave is actually us. 
the inside, the Buddha, is our intuition or intelligence. And the guard up front is our ego. It's that voice of limitation and Mara's our greatest fear. So our ego wants us to be um, held by our greatest fear, but it never wants us to see it eye to eye. But when you see your fear eye to eye, it can no longer have power over you. You know, so at any time I'm scared, I always go, Mara, I see you. I like, I take a moment just to acknowledge my fear because um, our ego just wants us to be scared of the prospect of our fear. You know, that's more intense than actually the thing happening. So the truth is we're really resilient beings and we can make it through a lot of different things, yeah. you know. Oh, that's such a powerful explanation um, because do you feel that relates as well to, I know that a lot of people suppress their feelings yeah. like and they don't want to deal with like sadness or different emotions yeah. and then we don't and, and and is that almost the same as saying like you gotta face them yeah yeah i mean we've been told not to cry since we were born like have you ever seen someone holding a baby that's crying they go shh we've been constantly been told to hold it in since we were a baby so it feels hard you know to cry and to let to, to let emotions through you i'm really emotional i'm just like uh, yeah. yeah and if I'm i can get more emotional as i get older yeah Sometimes I, like, I never would have cried. Like, like even in my own time, like there was, yeah. there's been times where I can't cry. Like back in the day, in the last few years, I feel that like I don't know. I've just gotten maybe I've opened up or become more aware of who I am, or whatever. But I feel that that has allowed me to be more like open to different emotions. Yeah, I love it. I love getting it all out. I also, if I if I don't cry enough, like the suppressed emotion becomes anger and frustration and that's where you know it's linked to higher levels of cortisol in your body more disease discomfort in the body so it's just like when you actually don't express your emotions you can actually be causing yourself physical damage you know so i actually like rage rooms are becoming a big thing right now someone can't cry i say go and get your anger out first and then you'll be able to cry rage. you know you can hire a room and it's got old bottles and televisions and you can just smash everything all up and get your rage out should we do that as a pure sport trip 100%. Team Honest, they John should Cup. do that yeah, it's a really great thing they should be doing that you know like to people before they go to sporting matches and stuff because you imagine like the drop-off and domestic violence if people just got their frustrations out i reckon that would solve a lot of problems yeah not everything but like there'd be a lot of things that i mean just... you can do it in crossfit too with a barbell you can slam it down you know we went to the sick um boxing gym yeah jab yeah yeah jab. i saw that and bro the the mike tyson left hook right hook uppercut combo that was letting out some anger man it, it feels good yeah i did a whole year of shadow work and i hired like a mixed martial arts trainer once a week and would punch up the bag every week just got my frustration out and i've never felt so good because there's just like so much stuff we hold in we don't even know we're so frustrated yeah. until we get what ourselves. you said there about sadness manifesting as anger if we don't allow it, i i feel there's so much of that in young men man like I was so angry as like a teenager and like early twenties and looking back it's because I did have a lot of like sadness and trouble that I'd faced as a kid, but we're taught not to ever yeah. Yeah, express it. Or, and you also, I don't feel we're taught enough how to communicate how we're feeling. 
or that, that that's even a thing to do. Yeah. And then we suppress it and then you, you, you act like, you know, you act like a man. And then you end up getting in fights with probably with other guys that are Feeling going through the same, the thing. same thing. I feel like you draw, you become drawn to those people and then you're both angry. You're like, well, it's good. Bonding through anger. Yeah. Could you imagine they replaced home economics with human intelligence classes at school? That'd be amazing. We need to get the Carl Gray curriculum, man. <laughs> yeah. We'll get a pure sport class and we'll get JD's CrossFit class and yeah, rage rooms at schools. Yeah, get rage rooms. Ra rage rooms are such a great idea. Yeah. Amazing. The curriculum does need to evolve to equip young people more with what life is going to bring, man. And you know what? I went to a couple of high schools to lead meditation classes in the past and, you know, I was invited back and there were there were so many people who were like kids really interested about you know yeah doing it was, better it was like when we had the trust your gut launch and uh, we had a guy uh louise who's who's the man and he's like a yoga teacher and he does breath work and it was, we had this big group of ambassadors and um and a lot of like pro athletes and stuff and louise did this breath work thing at the end where it was like it was only for like a couple minutes and honestly the feeling of like peace and connection within that room it was so like tangible and that was ever like everyone even all of us as the pure sort team because doing a like product launch and we did it as a live event and like there's so much that goes into it mm -hmm. and after that terms we were all just like that was sick man yeah yeah the other one i said was the the ben bidwell one which is what we did for that um we went to bxr and did the ratio event yeah. and I didn't, I just went along because I was like, right, this is one of our events. I'm going to go along. And I was right at the back of the room with Eloise. And I thought, hey, I'll give it a go. Like, I'm here. Why not? I'm not going to do anything else. All I'm going to do is probably get some Instagram stories. And I went to another world. My brain disappeared. And I think they had to come over and like wake me and Eloise up, give us a shake on the shoulder. And your brain just goes to a complete, like I was not in that room. My brain was somewhere completely different just from breathing. It was bizarre. It's, it's interesting because when you look at like ancient yogic teachings, like Sanskrit teachings, there's no difference between breath and life force. They are the same thing. You know, that's, you know, like when we're actually focused on our breath, we're tuned into direct life force. Like the ancient yogis knew that. What, what is your description of meditation? Because I feel again, meditation like manifestation has got quite a few connotations around yeah. it. And, and like, you know, I feel people, you can be in a state of meditation walking to work or being on the tube it doesn't yeah. necessarily always have to Act be about sitting there yeah what, what is your description of meditation so you know i do a different few different types of meditation for me meditation is just active listening that's what it is it's just you're actively listening to whatever's going on and a lot of people speak about mindfulness and they think your mind is going to be empty but if you break down the word it's mindfulness so your mind actually switches on and it's actually just giving your mind permission just to do what it needs to do. Uh, but a lot of people go into meditation and they try and suppress the mind or quieten the mind. But the moment you start to try and do that, you create a war in your mind. Um, and it's really just an opportunity for your mind to open up. So it's not trying to still the mind. It's no, actually it just allowing it to. Let it go. And just being present, yeah. allowing it to do what it does. I do active meditation, so I do kundalini meditation, and we focus on a mantra, and we and it's like active in the sense where we move our arms and chant the mantra at the same time, and that then lets the mind go off, which is a different experience. But most people just need a moment to let the mind wander.
But then once you've been doing that for a while, you can start doing an active meditation where you're chanting and that's where you start to open up your brain and create new pathways. And then you can also release like serotonin, DMT, like you can start really getting into like big, big euphoric moments. Do you have a, this is not something I don't have ever spoken to someone about, but do you have a, a change of like visual perception from meditation? Because when I've done it, I have it with my eyes closed and then I open my eyes and everything feels brighter, way, way further away. Like yeah, I'm yeah. much smaller. Oh, everything is like way, way further away. And I can only, the only time I've ever experienced this is when I was a kid and I was in bed at night and like, you know, you just sat with your own. It's almost like you're like, yeah, you're only, you're, you're sat with your own thoughts. You know, when you were a kid, you didn't have a phone or something like that. There wasn't a TV in your room. You just sat there and you just sat with your own thoughts. And I guess you go into that same like meditative mode where you're just with your own thoughts and you've got nothing else to think about but that. And I used to remember just like you would like zoom out from the world and everything was so far away. And I can only get that now when I just sit and you meditate and I use headspace and then I open my eyes and I know when I'm in that state because honestly, everything is just. I feel so small and everything is a mar- like miles away. And then about five or 10 minutes later, everything comes back to normal. Yeah. Is that anything you've ever experienced or is that just me? For me, everything always looks brighter after a meditation for me. And I also just have like after, cause I do 22 minutes a day. And for me, that's like my sweet spot. And after that, everything just feels manageable. It does not matter what is going on. Even if I start it and I can't be bothered cause that happens a lot. Um, there's, once I do it, everything's easier, more manageable, you know, and nothing's too big for me to deal with as well. But I don't really have that far away thing. But I like yeah. that. That's really cool. It's bizarre. You feel you feel so small and everything is so far away from you. I, th- I feel like that's also a really cool metaphor. Like whatever you think's too big is actually just a drop in the ocean. I wanted to speak about this for ages because I read it earlier. You might not have seen this one, but can you talk about the lady with the sister in Coney Island? from your perception, like, from, like your story. Yeah. I don't want to say it. No, no. Fascinating. So, Fascinating. So I used to write for the Scottish Sun newspaper. I joined it when I was 20, 35 next month. It's crazy. So it was a long time ago. And I joined as this guy, I was called the angel whisperer and people would write in letters to me. And then after being there for quite a while, people wanted private meetings. So I, I, I used to do them. I, I would rent an easy jet off, easy office. It was like 50 pounds for the day. I would do private one-to-one meetings and this one lady came to me and it was, you know, I read angel cards or I used to and um, just kind of open up to guidance and tell them what I feel for them. When I was doing it for this one particular lady, the most weird thing happened. I, I said to her, I feel like your mum's in heaven. She said, that's correct. And then I told her a little bit about it. And then I said, she wants to mention your two sisters. And she said, I've only got one sister. And I was like, she's only got one sister in my head. So I'm having this conversation. And then I, and then I got two sisters. I'm like, no, you've got two sisters. She said, that's really bizarre because my other sister who you're speaking about, um, she lives in Canada and she went to see a shaman, a shaman. And he said, um, that we do have another sister as well. And I was like, okay. So I just like opened up and I was like, if I was to tell her any, the question asked you, you know, like, if there was an intelligence that was guiding me right now, what would I want to know? So I just did that and I got all these facts. So it was like the name May Brown was the name. And then I got Coney Island, New York. And I just started writing all this stuff out. So I put it over to her and then finished the rest of the reading, you know, like just a scan of their life. And the person went away and that was the last I heard about it for a while. And then 
um, loads of people started writing into me. I heard about you reuniting the sisters, and I'm like, reuniting the sisters. So it turned, and then for whatever reason, the lady wrote to the newspaper. So it went beyond me. She went, Kyle Gray met me, you know, did this reading for fifty pounds, and told me all this stuff. And it turns out that she did have another sister, and her mother had another sister when before she was born, and she was told that the child was dead on arrival but she wasn't the person that delivered the baby was called may brown and she sold the baby on the black market to a jewish family from coney island new york so this is basically like it happened beyond me like i wasn't involved in the, the investigation and so then um yeah they found their, their long lost sister and reconnected but the weirdest part about it was the long lost sister was born into this family everyone was kind of more olive skinned and dark and she was like this like pale scottish you know woman and never felt like she had a place and she went to see a psychic and the psychic said you have a mother in heaven and you've got two sisters and they're looking for you so all three sisters went to a psychic and the they all got a similar message in three different parts of the world when i read that earlier i was like nah we need to talk about this on the podcast (laughs) he's got like you got the brothers hanging around. <laughs> do, do you want to know that? See after, see after that, that was my career. That was like, you know, like I, because I was doing well. I was, you know, I had a newspaper column and all these things. But as soon as that that got out, it was in the news. Um, I was booked out for three years. I had, wow. I had no space for three years to see me. It was that's crazy. crazy. That's why it was, can't, couldn't help it, man. But I didn't even, like, it was kind yeah. of, it wasn't like I know who your yeah. sister is. It was more just intuitive. Yeah. Like, here's what I think. Yeah. Leave it to you. Wow. Never thought anything would ever come of it. Yeah. She, she probably went away and be like, nah, man, my 50 back. Oh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, she, she did. She was like, that was, yeah. you know, like, a waste I of time. Really do, yeah. But her curiosity <laughs> did get the better of her. Yeah. And it was her sister that started the, the initial yeah. investigation. And Boy, for all you out there and you think that... Um, someone one of the psychics got it wrong you never know you should you just never know you should look further into it right? yeah and um, the good psychics don't try and make it fit they just leave you yeah, to do it just yeah curiosity um what's your view on like you know a lot of people go through some challenges in life it might be you know um something horrific happens to them growing up it might be the loss of a loved one it might be like neglect it might you know What's your view on healing trauma from the past? I mean, need to do it. <laughs> um, yeah, I think trauma is something that needs to be, you know, dealt with. And I think that everyone deals with it in a different way. Um, but I highly recommend people. I love working with therapists. Like I, I don't have a therapist right now, but I always do a check-in once a year usually just to check in. But um, at one point in my life, I wanted to do deeper work and I spent a whole year working on it. Because I think there's so much- you, As in you yourself- Personal. To do deeper work for yourself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like with a therapist. With a therapist. Yeah. And for me, I just think that um, in order to like optimize your mind, your body, your soul, you have to like do the deep digging. And I think a lot of things happen to us in our lives that we don't realize is actually traumatic. You know, and, and when I look back at my life, there was quite a lot. There was quite a lot. And I think that helped me become a deeply, you know, intelligent, emotional being in many ways. But I think it also restricted me. Um, so, yeah, I think trauma is really big. 
uh, big stuff. And I, I'm a big fan of IFS, if you've ever heard of it before, Internal Family Systems Therapy. And it's about tracing the steps and the parts of yourself. And it helps you recognize when traumatic things happen to you. Um, there's this little part of yourself that happens to in that trauma response that you have in adult life is usually that part of yourself that's doing the talking or doing the leading. So if something happened to you and you're four years old, you can actually speak to the part of yourself that was four years old and soothe them. It's really cool. IFS. The, one of the, a dude who I find fascinating, uh, his name's Gabor Mate. Oh, yeah. um, I think that's how you say his name. I've listened to some cool podcasts with him. But he speaks a lot about, um, you know, certain like neurological, um, uh, how do you say, you know, people that are neurologically diverse, like ADHD and stuff like that. He he swears that it's caused by trauma or neglect. A and, thousand and percent, like that. probably, yeah. yeah. Makes I've, sense though, because you're, you're, the brain's finding it harder to engage in things and people that go through trauma and difficulties and challenges they, as a child, their coping mechanism is to disengage, right? But I, I've also found that the best psychics have all had traumatic uh, child, childhoods. And I think that's got something to say because that like either it was like an abusive parent or an abusive situation they had to learn to know and it was going to happen and to at least protect themselves, to take themselves out of the situation. And would you say because they've been through something like that, they switched off from like the material world more and actually delve further into yep. like, uh, consciousness yeah. or most awareness. psychics are escapists yeah yeah wow spent their heads in the clouds it's because when they're children as well like their brains are still molding and they're plastic and stuff like that exactly and that's why I'm i think that can make you like super open because they thought i had attention deficit hyperactive disorder for a very long time um and i maybe I, I do attention dialed higher dimension you know like adhd but i i think that i, I like that it. that's a good attention dialed higher dimension, dimension. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah i think that 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 is probably similar like because i had some certain things that happened in my life traumatic circumstances um made me really open and that's why i ended up being really good at what i do you know nice yeah and, and now you're helping point others to that place within themselves yeah yeah and that's the key thing like i'm not special everyone's equal we can all do this yeah. that's why i think the, the most powerful thing is what you're saying is there's this place of presence and peace and love and awareness and connection within us all we just need to know it's there and we need to get back in touch with it right yeah and even if you don't teaches us to not look for that yeah and even if you don't believe in it yet just give it just like be open to it, like yeah. try it out. Yeah, I yeah. agree, man. What, what would you say is the biggest cause of unhappiness in humans? I mean, you're asking big questions. I, know, this I, really, I wanna know. Though. This isn't really my expertise, but I think the biggest cause of unhappiness is unworthiness. Yeah. I think it's the one common thing we've all felt as well, like not worthy enough. Um, you know, it could be not worthy enough of success or connection or relationship, but there's a part of us that never feels fully good enough. And I think that's the biggest cause of unhappiness. Well, it certainly was for me, you know. I think when you tap into, and I think getting to, like, worthiness starts with self-respect, you know, like just respecting yourself, maybe not to submit yourself to certain circumstances, you know, are going to make you feel empty. Mm. 
you know, and eventually you start with that respect of yourself and eventually can tap into worthiness or self-love, whatever you want to call it. I think that's the one thing I would want everyone to have is worthiness, recognizing that even though it's a big, gigantic world, there's still, there's still something sacred and special about your individual self, you know. You are good enough and you are you're perfect as you are and you don't need all these things or other people's opinions of you to yeah. be that fulfilled, you know, fiction yeah. that you are. But the world we live in with social media and all of that now, comparison, the feelings of lack, mm -hmm. they're trying to, they, well, they, they create the concept of that lack or not being good enough or needing more. But it's not true. Yeah. It's not true. Yeah. Well, man, that's a powerful uh, and amazing way to finish up. Um, but, I've absolutely loved this conversation. I'm definitely going to go away and listen to it myself. And I'm going to do that question. Uh, there was something I needed to know most. What is it? I'm going to look for that and allow that answer to come. Um, but thank you so much, Kyle. And uh, Mr. Wu Wei, JD. Where can people find you? Instagram. Is that the best one? Yeah, Kyle Gray UK. And if you want an angel message every Monday, my email list, kylegray.co.uk. And this is probably like choosing your favorite child. If they had to choose one of your eight books to read first, raise which your one? vibration. Is that the one? Yeah, cool. I'm gonna give it a read. It's a great book, yeah. man. My Chelsea and I love that book. And la last one, what's your favorite pure sport product? So, uh, so like choosing your favorite mushroom child, complex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my favorite. It's the one thing I make sure I take every day. Yeah, yeah. that cognitive function and antioxidants yeah. and focus. That's my number one. Yeah. And then it'd be the rollerball. Yeah, the freeze rollerball. It totally uh, is really spooked out by it at first, and they yeah. all love it. Yeah, yeah. Nah, I love it. We <laughs> like when skeptics turn into, you know, the biggest supporters. So, uh, thank you so much, thank Carl. You. It's been an absolute thank pleasure, you. man. I got a real clammy hand, so I'll give you a fist bump. <laughs> clammy boy. Clammy boy.